Hello and welcome to the Sovereign Collective Podcast, where we bring you real raw truth for your self-empowerment. I'm your host, Sasha Calavota, and I believe that you can stand on your own two feet, but that you don't have to do it alone. I love learning from people who continually strive to raise the bar, to go against mainstream thinking, and who dare to question the general consensus. People are risking ridiculed or even risk the loss of their professional status as they bravely question the common narratives and challenge the rest of us to expand our minds and to reconsider what we think we already know. Join me in learning how to take control of your health and your mind so that you can have the energy to think more clearly and the confidence to step up and take responsibility for all aspects of your life. We promise to never censor here because I believe you are strong enough to hear the real raw truth to make up your own mind. If you like what you find here at the Sovereign Collective Podcast, then please share with your friends and family. I so appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And now on to the show. Hi, y'all. This is Sasha here for two quick announcements before we get on to our interview for today. First of all, if you are looking for quality supplements, quality tonic herbs, some specialty food items, and you're in and around Calgary, then please go check out Lotus Herbal Health, a great family-run store that has two locations in Calgary. You can find them at lotusherbalhealth.ca to find out where their locations are, or you can shop online and they will pretty much deliver anywhere. So quality supplements, tonic herbs, great staff, check out lotusherbalhealth.ca. Secondly, I want to announce the relaunch of my program called Your Conscious Pregnancy and Parenting Guide, which consists of experts in their fields around the world on consciousness and parenting and education and nutrition and dentistry and homeopathy and more. This is a program I created after my son was born about 10 years ago, a little bit more than that. And I am now very concerned after the events of 2020 for our future generations. And I believe the time is now for conscious parenting and for conscious parents to rise up and take, to take back our pregnancies and our births and our parenting and the resilience of our children and of future generations. The time is now. We change the course of history by changing the course of our future generations. And we do that by consciously raising them, consciously birthing them, consciously conceiving them, feeding them good food, and taking back the responsibility of raising healthy, well-adjusted, robust people. Resilience. It's time to build resilience. So please go check out sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide, and you will be able to check out all of the amazing material in there. It's time for us to understand how our worldviews are formed, how our self-views are formed, and how to impact that and how that impacts the society on a whole. So check it out, sovereigncollective.org forward slash get the guide. And now on to the show. Hey everyone, it's Sasha here with another episode of the Sovereign Collective Podcast. And today I'm with Kendra Irvin of Living Light Ayurveda. And we're going to talk about a little bit of Ayurveda, a little bit of health and wellness, a little bit about Kendra, and a little bit about an event that she has coming up very, very, very soon that you're probably going to want to tune into. So Kendra, who is she? She is an Ayurvedic health counselor with California College of Ayurveda. She's a certified wellness coach. She's a professional kinesiologist, and she's also a single mom of two young girls. She's a busy entrepreneur, and she's on a mission to help you live more in tune with your body type with the natural world around you so that you can thrive, be happier, and a healthy you. And I also have gotten to know Kendra over the last quite a few months now uh, through the Health and Wellness Committee of Life Force Canada. That's also something that we share 
an interest in and are on the same committee. And I finally got to meet her in person just about a week and a half ago at a lovely little dinner that we had. So thank you, Kendra, for joining me today. And yeah, let's talk about you. Thank you for having me. And I have to give you so much credit for getting Ayurveda correct on the first time because I, I, I'm like so serious when I say everyone that interviews me says, how do you say that again? I think I'm going to botch it. And then they ultimately do. And then I just, I just correct them. So this first time I'm like, I'm just going to let it flow. (laughs) No, I know. I know a lot of people can't say that word. I know. Yeah. I'm conscious of pronouncing words correctly. It's kind of a thing that bothers me, but every once in a while, I realize that I've been doing something wrong. So so Kendra how did you get into Ayurveda why what is that where what led you to becoming somebody who's an expert in this field well it's interesting because I think like our life is a series of of events that happen that ultimately lead us to some form of uh dharmic purpose or enlightenment or whatever if you will I'm not saying it's like enlightenment necessarily but I think everything that has happened in my life has really led me up to essentially that point where it was like, when I knew it was a point, it was a turning point, like kind of like the Eureka or like, why haven't people been doing this all along? And I feel like I've got like the secret sauce here. Right. So just to kind of shorten it up a little bit. um, I was originally in the business of wellness coaching and in that path and the certification um, pathway of that, I was to do a book report. And in the book report, they give us a whole bunch of different options of what we can look at. And I'm scrolling down the list. I'm like, hmm, perfect health. That sounds amazing. I'm going to read it. And so I was reading it and it was like a patron, like, oh my God, how come more people don't know about this Ayurveda thing? It's a sister science to yoga. I love the yoga. I do it all the time. I am like, I am hooked. And it was kind of like, sort of like you find, find the pot of gold and you're like oh my god <laughs> like I can't wait to share with this you know this with people and uh, so that was the book that changed everything for me all because of a, a book report essentially through wellness coaching and throughout the years you know as universe would have it when the student is ready the teacher will appear and the universe was teaching me in all sorts of different ways about Ayurveda And uh, so I ended up going to India and I learned about the system from the very motherland where it came from. And I went to uh, Santa Fe and I spent some time with Vasant Lad who brought Ayurveda to the West. And and then I just started using it, kind of sprinkling it into my wellness coaching and applying some of the principles without officially making it Ayurveda based. And then I was like, you know, I think I actually should really just, you know, pull the pin and go and get training. And so I took training through the California College of Ayurveda, um, became an Ayurvedic health counselor, and it just took right off before I even finished schooling. So I knew that that was like, that's the path or the purpose or dharma, if you will, to, to connect with Ayurveda. One interesting thing I noticed when I was in India um was I'm in the rickshaw and I'm going back to the ashram and I'm looking around and I see this building and it says on it yoga kendra and I'm like <laughs> oh hilarious <laughs> the yoga kendra so I went I looked it up and in Hindu kendra means center and it's interesting because in like my, my name in Gaelic and I think my mom said it was Gaelic means knowledge so if you put the English 
and the and the Hindu word together, you get knowledge center. And I was like, oh, my mind is blown right now. So just another sign along the way that I was heading in the right direction and Ayurveda was it. Very cool. And Ayurveda being the oldest medicine on the planet, is it not? It is the world's oldest original healthcare system. That is correct. And so I think we should maybe tune into this a little bit and maybe pay attention considering what our most latest and greatest healthcare system, let's put that in quotes, shall we, is yeah. giving us in terms of results and considering that Ayurveda is still around. Yeah. I don't know how many thousands of years, like considering it's still around, it's still relevant, it's still helpful, it still makes sense, then maybe there are some just some eternal truths that will always be with us and that we could, you know, it will serve us to maybe pay attention to. So I'm super stoked to learn more about it because it is something that I have considered further studying and going deep into. Uh, but I find it just on the, on the, on the cover when you're, when you're looking at it, it's hard to get a little bit, there's a lot to it. So what does Ayurveda mean, first of all, and what is the basic philosophy of Ayurveda? if there is such a thing. Oh, so much to unpack here. Ayurveda literally means life science and it has been around for um, as little as 5,000 years and as much as around 10,000 years. Some scholars argue even longer potentially. So it has stood the test of time. The mainstay of Ayurveda essentially uses nature as its guiding principles. And here's the thing. The last time I checked, you and I come from nature, right? And in nature, there are five elements. There's air, ether, fire, water, and earth. So if you come from nature and nature is all five of those elements, you can't be anything but those five elements. You are air, ether, fire, water, and earth in different sort of concentrations, if you will. Uh, so Ayurveda really, in terms of its, its pillars, really helps us to... Uh, pursue things in in life as well there's four pursuits of ayurveda we have kama artha moksha and dharma and i can unpack those afterwards as well but there's a lot that holds it up you're right there's a lot of things that that can make the system really intricate and very complex however I mean, I think that's attributed to its age, essentially. When you have something that's upwards of 10,000 years old, of course, you're going to have layers and you should have layers. If you don't have layers and there's no depth, you should probably be concerned, aka maybe what's happened in the past few years or whatever, there's, right? So anyway, I, won't, I don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but um, essentially what it helps us to do is really discover the truth about who we are. And we do that, basically, we start on the physical level. The physical levels where we understand ourselves the most right so i understand right now that i'm like touching my kitchen counter i understand that because my senses can feel that and so i can start to make sense of the world through all five of my senses and how i understand the environment that gives me information as to whether or not i am in balance or out of balance because i can have too much fire element in my body which would result in inflammation I can have too much air and ether in my body, which would result in dryness or even like constipation, for example. Uh, I can have too much earth in my body and water, which would be excess mucus. So really the tenets of Ayurveda is it understands the, the disease process, the pathology and pathogenesis of disease as it relates to its qualities. So here in the West, we might say, oh, that's, um, that's arthritis. 
And in the East and how they would explain that is in terms of its qualities. So there is excess fire, essentially, to put it at sort of the most basic level. And where is this fire happening? It's happening in the joints. And then, okay, so it's happening in the joints. There's a specific treatment that's, that's designed to help that. In nature, like attracts like. So we've heard that saying in the West and they've you know, made movies and books and podcasts all about the, this idea of law of attraction. But really, um, we tend to gravitate towards that which is like us. So uh, someone that has more like fire qualities, for example, would attract more fiery qualities into their life. Someone that has more earth qualities would attract more earth. It's stability, it's grounding, it's stagnant. Someone that has more air and ether qualities is attracted to things that are lighter, drier, and mobile in their life too. If we have too much of those, it goes, you know, sort of uh, overloads, so to speak, and it goes into what we call an imbalance. So how do we correct the imbalance? Well, nature's dichotomous, essentially. So in nature, we have an opposite as well. So for east, there's a west. For a north, there's a south. For a dark, there's a light. Uh, for a wet, there's a dry. For a light, there's uh, a heavy, uh, cloudy, clear. It works off of those principles. So if I were, for example, to have too much fire, too much heat, then the qualities of heat are hot, sharp, and mobile. So what are the opposite of those? It is cold, dull, and stagnant. So we know that many of us are searching for something called homeostasis, or we call it balance, or we call it body harmony. This is essentially the same thing. So if we have too much heat in our body with the hot, sharp, and mobile qualities, what fixes it, what cures it, so to speak, is cold, dull, and stagnant qualities. And that's how Ayurveda applies it. So really, you're just using the knowledge of nature. So if someone were to like, where do I start? Okay, um, get, get the, um, the five elements down pat. So air, ether, fire, water, and earth. You got that? Yes, I got that. Yeah, I understand it's in my body. Okay, so what are the qualities of that? How much of, of uh, each of the elements are existing within the body? And so that's where we do a determination or an assessment based on how someone's presenting uh, facial features. I can do facial diagnosis. We look at tongue. Uh, we look at body shape, length of the limbs, how tall someone is, uh, the way that they speak their ability to complete project all has qualities. So yes, it's complex, but at the same time, the, the practical use of it based on knowledge of nature is actually quite simple. And so when you're talking about you're, at, you're looking to put all these qualities to someone, that's determining their dosha? It's determining what their dosha is, as well as what their imbalance is. Right. So if, you, if we found out, for example, by um, assessment, that your dosha, your long-term tendencies and your natural constitution that you were born with is say Pitta, for example, Pitta is our fire and water type. Then that is your natural constitution. That doesn't change because you were born with it. In fact, it's decided at, at the moment of conception. After the moment of conception, the body, the, the growing little organism inside is susceptible to the environment because they're experiencing it through the mother. And whatever the mother experiences can change what the, what the growing organism is, is experiencing as well. 
So that then becomes what we call um, Vikruti. So we have Prakriti that I first mentioned, your natural constitution, and then where a person is imbalancing. Okay, so what is, okay, so Vikruti and Prakruti? So Vikruti and Prakruti, yeah. So how does that, what is that in, okay, so let's talk about what the doshas are, but what are yeah. those with respect to the doshas? So the doshas, there are three. There's uh, vata, pitta, and kapha. Mm -hmm. Vata is how we group air and ether. Pitta is how we group fire and water. And then kapha is how we group earth and water. So the determination of someone's dosha, for example, is going to be how we assess what their elimination does, what their energy is, what their sleep is, because it all has qualities. So if I were to break that down even further, someone that has for all their life, as long as they can remember, has had really a, like a lot of difficulty uh, falling asleep and staying asleep would be someone that would have more mobile qualities, mobility of the mind, insomnia is the mind running, that monkey mind, da, 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 all the time, that's mobility. There's no other element that explains that other than air and ether, why? Because wind changes direction at any given time and it's moving and it's light. So someone that is experiencing difficulty getting to and staying asleep, has those same qualities. It's mobile, it's light, you can't, it's unpredictable, it's chaotic, frenetic. That's all describing air and ether. Um, and if that's been a long-term tendency, that would fall under the umbrella of prakriti. Another example with Vada would be a person that comes to me and says, as long as I've known myself, I've had really dry skin. Um, so what are the qualities of the dry skin? Well, the, you know, the clue is in there already. There's this, this dryness, this lightness, it tends to be flaky. And that doesn't fit under any other umbrella other than the air and ether, because air is light, dry, cold. Um, and it has sort of a, a clear quality to it as well. So that person's prakruti or the natural constitution would be a vata type. So we would add another point to the vata box, for example. And then as we go throughout their body, say, for example, we look at their face and their nose is moderate to their face. That's not vata. That would be a pitta nose. Um, <laughs> pitta nose. A pitta nose. Yeah. Oh, and come on. I got a pretty good one here. So <laughs> I, wonder, I think I'm pretty pitta. But I've got different ones. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you would... It, we don't just pull it out of some arbitrary hat either, right? So let's look at face shape, for example. We got up close to the camera, for example, I'll use mine. So I got these nice Dutch cheekbones here. There's angularity here. And there's this, this more of an angle to the jaw as well. So that is a pitta. It's overall more of a pitta. Yes, I have some ovalness to my face, which would be a little bit of vata influence. It's slight. Um, but overall, it's more of a pitta dominant face. Why? Because pittas have more sharp qualities. And here, if this was, if I didn't have these, for example, if it just kind of just went straight down, then I would be a vata face. But because I've got the angles here and that sharpness, this determines what someone's facial would be too. Wow. Uh, lips, if you see lips that are really thin. So 
Vata's Aaron Ether, it's the thinnest out of all of the doshas. It's not very present, just like wind and, and space can't be measured necessarily. It's quite thin. So that would show up in the presence of their lips. If I had lips, say, if you can picture Angelina Jolie, for example, she is notorious for billowy, pillowy lips. Those would be katha lips because there's more earth in her lips than there are in someone who's quite thin-lipped. Which is interesting because the rest of her is not kapha at all body type. So there's so many, so all the elements are really just combining all over to give you that overall, I would say there would be a dominance, right? But there's elements of everything and everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So when people say, oh, do that person, do that person. I'm like, I can't just like, you know, assess them right off the street and say, oh, vada, pitta, kapha, combination, tridoshic. I can't do that because you really have to look at the combination of the inside and outside. I've had someone present before as like a Vata type, but then I looked at his digestion. It was nice and strong. Um, we looked at his, his energy. His energy was moderate. He had flushed complexion um, and he's had that all his life. Freckles, for example, are another marker. He ended up being more Pitta than he did Vata. So looking at him, you think he might be more Vata type because he was more diminutive, um, quite slender. Um, so we have a lot of markings, but when you do the full examination, you're looking at the entirety of a person inside and out, including their habits. Right. So if they like, if they spend frivolously and all that kind of stuff, that tends to be a little bit more of a Vata quality, because again, it's more frenetic energy. If they're quite calculated and conservative with their money, that would be more Pitta. Pitta tends to be more of the leader. They, they're the getter done kind of, um, body type. And then Kapha would be, um, they would tend to hang on to their money a little bit more. Why is that? Because Kaphas are air, or sorry, are earth and water. And earth and water are stagnant. They're dull. They don't move very much at all. So that's all the qualities that would um, make up each of the constitution and why there are 7.8 billion different versions of it on the planet. <laughs> no kidding. So, so when you're saying that somebody is a little bit more too airy, sharp, light kind of thing movement then how would you balance that out you're looking at lifestyle factors you're looking at food factors you're looking at like everything like I, I would assume so what would be for example how if somebody's really airy and like a like a, a bird kind of thing you know what what would you do for stagnation what do you do for that yeah so throw oil at them that's the first thing I would do <laughs> create a grounding practice for them um, something that will keep them closer to the earth. And when I say throw oil at them, what I mean is that like all the oil needs to happen in their life. So do practice like abhyanga, for example, which is self oil massage. What that does is it serves to calm the, um, the active nervous system. So it really just kind of quells it, calms it down with the, the heaviness and the warmth of it. Uh, the other thing I would do is take a look at their diet. Diet is huge and can, can be sometimes your biggest bang for your buck, if not almost all of the time. Um, how are they spicing their foods? Are they using like artificial sauces all the time and they're making on a go and they're firing it in the microwave kind of thing? That's too fast, right? For them. Vatas need stuff that will slow them down, that create heaviness. So oil, for example, um, on the body and within. So if they don't eat avocados, I'd recommend they start eating avocados, for example. Um, start putting more ghee in their cooking too. 
uh, cook all of their foods. Don't eat like light raw foods kind of thing. Cause all those things combined are going to bring those qualities into your body and aggravate a vata imbalance. So that vata imbalance can be, um, fear, overwhelm, anxiety, um, like constant fleeting thoughts kind of thing. Remember it's, it's movement. There's no, it's hard to sort of pin it down. Right. Very, I just want to interrupt quickly. Those are very, um, common traits I would say right now in general for the time that we're living in is racing thoughts, worry, anxiety as a whole for people. Yeah. So the beautiful thing, I love that you bring this point up too, is because really how Ayurveda looks at, um, all the, the, the planet and the beings on the planet essentially is we are a microcosm of the macrocosm. So if we are having a lot of internal battles that shows up in our environment. And if you look at the world right now, as you mentioned too, guess what? We're, we're in a little bit of trouble when it comes to fear, anxiety, overwhelm, all of that. That is right there a clue that we have a lot of people walking around with this fear and this anxiety um, unable to sleep, um, you know, all sorts of things are happening within their body, um, as a result and how they're, they're receiving the world, essentially how they're responding to the world. So it perpetuates itself and it only creates more if they don't get a handle on that by creating more balance in their life, that homeostasis that I talked about and creating that harmony. So there's too much lightness, there's too much raw, there's dry, it's fast, everything's fast, fast food, fast, all the things. It's so automated, right? And so due to the very frenetic nature that is our current society, even before two years, and especially now with all the fear that has just been circulating around like an unpredictable wind, um, we can we can say that overall we're that's more of a, a vata uh, imbalance taking over within the world. And we would do well to slow down and to create calm in our life, uh, to create more grounding practices, to nourish ourselves well, cook our food on the stove instead of firing it in a microwave for three minutes and expecting health to come out. Um, and just really taking out a lot of clutter in our lives too that are creating overwhelm overwhelm is, is also Vata. There's just, there's too much to do. People are too busy. They don't have time, um, anymore. At least that's what we're, we're saying anyway. That's what we're telling ourselves. And when you're yeah. making your food recommendations, are you taking into account the season? Yes, absolutely. So I think people have, you know, started to really, be more open to the idea of seasonal wellness and seasonal eating. And that really is an Ayurveda, what we call Rudacharya. So eating for the seasons. Um, so right now we have a season where things are, well, I mean, outside wouldn't really support it. Into spring, folks, and there's a snowstorm going on outside. Wet. Yeah. So, so present circumstances and situations, weather conditions, notwithstanding, typically in the spring, we see the great melt. So things start to become unearthed and we start to see, you know, baby bunnies being born and the cherry blossoms are starting to open. There's this whole idea of rebirth. Um, so we see an increase of the water element. So if someone is, I'll use kapha as an example, because it's what we call the kapha season. So we see more earth and we see more water in the season. Someone comes in and they're a kapha dominant body type. 
they have like excess mucousy conditions, a mucousy cough, uh, they've got excess weight they're dealing with, and we're in the middle of spring. So all of those are kapha conditions. First of all, their natural constitution is kapha. So they've got more of a rounder face, fuller figured. Um, and then their internal system support that as well. They're kapha. Their imbalance is kapha with the mucousy conditions. And we're in a season of melt outside. So more earth and water. That person has to be extra vigilant and bring in more astringent qualities and qualities that increase mobility as well. So that's where we'd go to foods that heat. So that's where we'd add more spices, for example, bring in the cayenne, bring in anything that turns up the heat a little bit and um, also have more uh, drier, so more astringent kind of foods in their, in their diet as well. And so that's how they could begin to create more balance by essentially treating it with the opposite qualities. Okay, because I think of my husband, I think of him, I think of him as a classic type. Then I think, but he warms up so easily. Like, and I'm thinking then spice wouldn't be, like, I, there's so many things to consider. So, so spice is good for coffee because I was thinking, coffees, don't they tend to run warm or no? But that's more of a, that's a pitta thing. Kaffas tend to be like adjustable in pretty much any temperatures except for extremes. So he could be a dual dosha or he could have a pitta imbalance, for example. It's hard to tell unless we could determine if it was long-term tendencies versus something that sort of emerged more in the last few months, few uh, years even, um, but hasn't always been with them. So if that person, for example, tends to run hot right away, it's a pit of quality and they always have, then that's more their natural constitution or their, the big fancy word, prakruti. Um, but if, for example, that person goes out and say they've got, they tend to run hot and they're out in the sun, it's the middle of the summertime. So we're now in the, in the fire season um, and they're outside without like proper sun shading or anything like that, they get a sunburn. So that sunburn is a pit of, Vikruti. It's an imbalance because they've heated up their skin and now they've got first and second degree burns happening um, because of being out in the sun. So now what is our go-to thing? What we do every summer, if we get a sunburn, what is the first thing we apply to our skin? Hello? Typically going to be like aloe gel, isn't it? Most wow. people, that's their sort of their go-to. Well, funny thing is aloe vera is actually uh, like the antidote, so to speak, to a pitta imbalance. So aloe vera could help the sunburn and the arthritis and the excess anger, irritability, or resentment or, or what have you, because aloe has the, the opposite qualities of what the person's presenting with. So things like rose, for example, is very helpful. A pitta having um, like a vase, full, I'm looking back there at my table, uh, a vase full of roses, for example, in their, in their house, even like visually through our sight senses actually works to stabilize and harmonize the body just by having them in our field of vision. Very cool. Uh, that totally makes sense to me because we are, there's so many more senses than even just our five senses that we've been we've told that we have, but that totally makes sense. Like today, my son and I cleaned out downstairs spare bedroom that I needed to to just get done and now just knowing that that's there I just can't stop talking about it because my whole world is lighter now because of, you know so that even that just in your awareness and that and seeing it it's like ah oh, so I can totally totally believe that 
So yeah. when it comes to, so in India, first of all, in India, is this still the primary uh, philosophy of medicine in India or are they going towards the Western ways as well for some strange reason? And what is the state there with their medicine and their health in general? Do you know? So it's starting to re-emerge. Uh, to answer your question, the allopathic model came in with the, basically the British invasion. And Ayurveda was all but wiped out in one spot in, wow. in uh, India, and that was Kerala. Um, so yeah, they had, a, they had, India has been invaded a couple of times. Um, and in that whole process, universities were burnt down, books were burnt and that sort of thing. Um, and they basically just almost wiped out the entire thing, um, except for that one spot. Now, since all of that has happened too, many students that go on to university, um, will tend to pursue allopathic models of medicine. Like if they can't get into med school, uh, for whatever reason, competition or whatever it might be, their secondary choice is Ayurveda, which is so interesting because that's the motherland of Ayurveda itself. Um, but I think many of us have been taught that the only way is the allopathic way. And there's often a one size fits all, you know, cut and drug solution to it um, without really taking into account uh, treating the root cause of the issue as opposed to just sort of throwing a bandaid on it and um, you, not actually getting after the, the, the cause, they're treating more of the symptoms or even signs, if you will. Um, so it's, it's starting to come back. And on another note as well, when I was over there, there's actually far more homeopathic clinics than there are allopathic. And just to sort of break that down, we see allopathic in terms of walking clinics. That's what I'm talking about. So we see walking clinic on almost every corner here. And where do you see an alternative medicine clinic or homeopathic or whatever? You, you can't. Someone's basement, basement maybe. That's, you know, and then the odd place, but like an actual clinic that is completely 100%. I think we have one natural path clinic or two maybe here in Nigeria. Um, out of the whole thing and everyone knows where they are because there's only two but yet we have it a few more in Calgary but that's not very much wow okay it's not and and so in India that's the reverse you see way more homeopathic naturopathic um even ayurvedic clinics as well far outnumber the walking clinics and the, the thing is is that they they look at healthcare in terms of being able to treat uh root cause of the issue as opposed to creating bad aid solution. And how do they approach chronic diseases now? Because I mean, the, the philosophy was created in a time where we weren't dealing with heart attacks and diabetes and all these things. So has it had to evolve or do you just keep the same principles and just and ignore the actual illness and just stick to the same principles? Like has it had to change, do you know, for chronic illness? So anything that's more difficult to treat in, in Ayurveda is defined as anything that's been longer than, than uh, three months. Sorry, it becomes increasingly more difficult. So moving into that chronic stage, um, you still go back to what caused the issue in the first place. And I mentioned that we identify more. I said like the counter because I can feel it. And I know that my senses say that I'm touching a counter, right? Um, but that's because that's on the physical level. Disease actually doesn't start on the physical level. It starts a lot subtler than that. So it's got more chron chronicity. Is that a word? 
Sure. Did I make up a word? It's a word today. Yeah. It's got more of a chronic nature um, when you look at the subtler aspects of, of where the, the dis-ease originally started. So it's a good time to actually to talk about the three main causes of dis-ease and the primordial cause. Um, can I indulge you? Please do. Yeah. Okay. So the three main causes of, of dis-ease, according to Ayurveda, are misuse of the senses, failure of the intellect, and then the speeding up of time. So they have all these Sanskrit words, but I'll, I'll spare you that um, and just start with kind of elaborating on the misuse of the senses. When it comes to the misuse of the senses, it's basically doing things in your life, lifestyle habits or behaviors or what have you that are actually counterproductive to your dosha or your body type. So if I was, for example, um, pitta body type, and I'm like, oh, um, you know, it's middle summer. I'm going to go outside. It's like, you know, 30 degrees out kind of thing. And I go lay in the sun and I'm fair skin and I kind of freckle or whatever. Um, I am therefore misusing my senses. Oftentimes we aren't aware that we're doing it. So then we get the imbalance and we never make the connection between the two. Um, so that's, that person would be misusing their senses. Uh, someone who is Vata type, so that's our air and ether, really dominant in those light dry qualities, decides it's going to be a good idea to move to Lethbridge. Lethbridge is well known for being quite windy and they go outside in the wind all the time, but aren't making the connection that that exposure to the wind actually is creating more imbalances of the same quality in the body. So they're having fleeting thoughts, they're having overwhelm, they're having anxiety, their skin is drying up, they're constipated. All of those are qualities of air and ether. Um, and a misuse of the senses example for a kapha for, to look at uh, lifestyle factors would be kaphas have excess earth and water. They tend more towards that. So if they, for example, say make a food choice that's really heavy, it's like lasagna, and then they have like mac and cheese afterwards. It's all like warm, heavy foods, but they're already a warm, heavy constitution. They're misusing their senses and then they're creating things like mucusy conditions or overgrowth of things, excess earth. So that's misuse of the senses. The second one is failure of the intellect. So this is typically where we see it is more conscious. Now we kind of, in, in this particular realm, we know that it's not good for us, but we still do it anyway. So I know as a, say I'm a vata, air and ether, I know as a vata that eating a bag of chips will probably create more uh, difficulty in digestion. And I'll probably have constipation, for example, or my skin will dry up, not saying all those happen. Um, and then I'm like, oh, I'm going to totally eat this bag of chips while I watch a horror movie with all the fear coming at me. And I see all these images and these sounds. So don't forget that our bodies basically are a vessel or a holding dock for all of that. So we'll see, um, I don't know, saw two. That's the first one that comes to mind. So a horror film, we're watching that and we're hearing the sounds of that. And we're eating light and dry foods. That's all going to create imbalance. And I know that it's creating imbalance in me, but I do it anyway. I've failed my intellect. My intellect has failed me. The third one is uh, the speeding up of time. So basically, the faster we go, the faster we decay. So when we look at automation of, of everything, um, I mean, it's drive-through banking is now too slow. You can literally do everything from your phone. 
and have it right away. There's this sort of instant gratification thing that's happening and time is sped up. And even though as a society, we now have more time than we ever had to do things, we're still constantly busying ourselves. And that, that really shows up in the person that like looks in the mirror and all of a sudden is like, oh my God, where did this wrinkle come from? I didn't even like notice it showing up or, or they say at the end of the day, oh my God, I don't even know where the, the day went. It just like one task blended into the next and here I am and I don't even have time for myself. That person is experiencing the speeding up of time um, and is therefore creating a pathway essentially for dis-ease to enter because they're going too fast, especially our vatas will tend to go too fast. Pittas can bring in this fear and anxiety and overwhelm that's happened over the past two years and they can go too fast in their mind. Um, same thing with kaphas. Kaphas can adopt that as well. Kaphas can get scared. They can be in that imbalance of, of vata um, based on getting swallowed up in a lot of the BS that's happening out there. And a lot of the fear mongering um, can essentially create a speeding up of time for all of us. All of the doshas can experience that. The one underlying cause of dis-ease that is, we'll look at that as sort of like, I just told you the, the iceberg. So underneath the water, mm -hmm. the one underlying cause of dis-ease is, and this might be like anticlimactic to some people, but it's forgetting who you are. Mm. That's it. That's the primary cause of dis-ease according to the world's oldest original healthcare system. It's forgetting who you are. So let me unpack that. What that means essentially is when we forget our true nature, our authentic selves, we start to identify with our egoic selves and we begin to get wrapped up in the dramas, the earthly dramas that happen. And when we get up, um, we get wrapped up emotionally in those earthly dramas, our bodies take that on as well. So what happens is by this forgetting, it really just is, creates a, a domino effect essentially, where we forget our true nature's spirit we identify with all of our egoic needs and we're running around serving all the egoic needs all the time. And we, many of us don't notice until it shows up as arthritis, until it shows up as a mucousy condition, until it shows up as anxiety. Cause that's when we're like, Oh, well now I can actually pay attention. So it's what happens. It shows up on the body as it keeps the score. Um, when we are too busy and we failed our intellect and we misuse our senses to be able to pay attention to its origin. So you can actually stop many conditions that we've had, including chronic, so acute and chronic conditions, simply by dialing it back a little bit and remembering your true nature as spirit. What is the truth about you? And that is like the failure of, of acknowledging that is what's causing um, disease within people. Right, I think we're in a big state of forgetting. Cause I was gonna ask you, how big does the role of the psyche play into Ayurveda? But I think that really answers it because that's what I mean. It's on that other realm of understanding who you are, owning yourself, being in your space of so much more than what you can see the average person perceives themselves to be when they listen to the rules, they don their mask, they, they sanitize their hands. And it's like, how small do you think you are? There's so much more than that. And I think, and of all the traditional wisdom of the ancient medicines, it's, you know, it's that knowing who you are 
Well, they wouldn't be donning the mask and shrinking down if they did know who know. I know who, exactly. Right? exactly. And the thing is, is that the less that you know yourself, the less that you know the truth about who you are, the easier you are to manipulate. Straight right. up, hands down, hard truth. That's the way it is. Yeah. So if you dial back to that and you remember who you really are and what the truth about you really is, what your dosha is, what's the truth? Is there fire in me? Is there more air and ether in me? Is there more earth and water in me? And so when we find that out, that's sort of the first step that we take towards, towards unraveling that, towards taking our power back. And that's the step that is necessary for us to be able to remember our truths because we aren't going to be like, oh, she says that we need to remember our truth. So how do I do that? Right. So start with things that you can identify with, change your lifestyle, change your diet. Diet is huge. And that might be a relief to some people because they're like, well, you know, I actually feel like I can have control over that kind of thing with some people. And, you know, they go to the grocery store and instead of picking a bag of Doritos, they're going to choose, you know, a sweet potato and cook it. And have that instead <laughs> of a bag of Doritos. Isn't that a fancy alternative, hey? Isn't it? Um, I, I like that alternative, definitely. So uh, if somebody <laughs> wants to find out what their dosha is, like I've, I've filled out some of those questionnaires. I always struggle with so many of the answers because I feel like not one of them really describes me because I'm not always one way. Yeah. You know? So how does one, does somebody have to see an Ayurvedic practitioner to learn their dosha? What, what, how, what does one do to get that in short, that is the best way. It's the quickest way to get the answers that you want. Um, that is the most reliable is to see a Veda. So a Veda is a practitioner of Ayurveda. Um, so that is your best way. If that's not, you know, within your grasp or realm at this point, doing something like a dosha quiz is at least a step in the right direction. I mean, that's actually how I got started, right? But I didn't get formally uh, tested until a few years later. So I, that means I spent those, those years that I was doing the tests uh, online or in a book or whatever with information that was more subjective. Because when we take tests that are out of a book or online, we tend to see ourselves as we'd like to see ourselves rather than what the actual truth is. And that actual truth is gonna come from the observations of a trained beta. So your quickest way to results is through having a practitioner do an assessment for you to find out what your natural constitution is. And second, what your imbalancing is, where that is. Then we treat the imbalances first because it's the most emergent. And as soon as we reduce those, then we focus on balancing out what your natural constitution is. And that's where Ayurveda is simple and practical. It only gets complicated when you start diving into philosophy and all that kind of stuff that the that the nerds like us like to kind of dive into, right? It's, that's all the basis, but we keep it as simple as we can at a level where people can um, identify with it because we can identify with nature. So many people love going to the mountains. Yeah. They love being by the ocean. That's yeah. natural. That is a natural, intuitive remembering of who you are right there. Totally, totally. And how much do herbs play a role in the whole process? Are you how much? Say that again. How much for that? Ayurvedic herbs. Herbs. Yeah. Okay. Herbs are um, herbs play a part in the whole process in terms of how we treat uh, an illness or a disease uh, medicinally. So we can create a lot of shifts in someone's 
constitution or their imbalance just by lifestyle and nutrition alone. But if we aren't quite getting to the like treating, uh, for example, a person has excess gas and they want that to end, they would go to herbs for that. But what's causing the excess gas could be that Vata person with air and ether decides to move to less leverage and take on an extremely stressful job. Right. So you can throw all the herbs you want at that, but if you don't treat the the root cause of the issue, it's going to keep showing up and you're going to have to keep taking herbs all the time. Um, so herbs can also work where say we go, we give it a really good college try with the lifestyle and the, the nutrition, for example, and it's still not quite getting down to that deep layer. It's not shaving off all that stuff we need to in terms of creating clarity. We can do that with herbs. So basically it's, it's sort of a, a deeper, more concentrated way and a more, um, curated program if you will once we start introducing herbs so um, you can have herbs that are carminatives for example that expel gas so someone was having excess gas for the past a couple weeks they're not sure why and they just want to be relieved of that you can give them like a carminative for example and a carminative will help to decrease that Um, but in the meantime you still need to work on not eating doritos while watching you know saw two Um, because if that doesn't go away, then you're going to be more reliant on herbs and people don't like to be reliant on, on anything. I know for sure, like pills, for example, they don't like that. And that's sort of what we've been served up for the past few hundred years with sort of the cut and drug model. Right. Right. Um, so going back to herbs really as a, as a medicinal thing, a, a, a medicinal thing but not relying on it. That's what I was trying to get at. Not relying on it as like part of their everyday food staple kind of thing. And that's the thing I try to tell people, this is in addition to the basics, right? The better choices, the more appropriate choices for you, the seasonal things, the awareness of self, everything else. And then this is just kind of the icing on top, but I think they can have their role if somebody's uncomfortable, they need to shift something quickly. But that's the thing, people want, both they want to stay doing what they're doing and keep their habits and then just get this to fix it and it's not going to fix it well we know the saying for that is you can't have your cake you need it too kind of thing so it 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 sometimes what it what it means is that's that the person is now being faced with taking responsibility for their health and they're basically been faced with the truth and some people are more comfortable living a lie than they are in the discomfort of of pursuing the truth and so for that you love them where, where they're at. If they're not willing to, to be accountable for their health and actually do the work required for their own success, then you create a space for them. You wish them well and, you know, give them that opportunity to come back when they're ready, right? Because you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink. And so a person that, um, you know, kind of wants it to be done for them and wants it to be fixed and for people to wave their magic wand, it's not going to happen. So yeah, there comes a point in your life where you're going to have to stop running, turn around, face the truth. And the truth is, is that the way that you've been leading your life has been leading you up to these imbalances. So it's time to, to take a really hard look in the mirror and decide how much, um, how much you want to liberate yourself, because are you really living a true liberated free life if you aren't honoring what your truth is? 
Yeah, that's a good mess message to many people. I think that's that taking that self responsibility. That's the thing. If you know, then you have to do better. So some people prefer to just not know or pretend to not know, right? Yeah. So before we talk about what you've got coming up, quickly want to ask, how is the water element different? Because kapha and pitta are very different, but, but they both include the water element. So how does it? How does that work in pitta versus kapha? Because you've got fire and water that don't seem to go very well together. Yeah. How does that work? So think of Pitta as more so humid. So Pitta, dominantly, it's going to be fire and there is a little bit of moisture. So while um, water doesn't play a significant role like it does in Kapha, it still plays somewhat of a role. So with a Pitta type, for example, they're going to be more fiery than the Vata type. The Vata type doesn't have any water period. So they're the ones that need to drink the most water, first of all, because they don't naturally have it. Mm -hmm. then Vata like, does? Okay. Vata, yeah, because they're all dry, light, mobile. None of the heavy water quality, like almost at all. Now, just to be clear, to be clear, you have all five elements of, of um, it, within your body too. So you do have expression of that. It just is very minimal. Um, so where you compare that to a kapha, for example, their water and earth, sometimes there's even a little bit more water in their constitution than there is earth. And that shows up in uh, like watery conditions, excess water edema, for example, um, excess flow within the body, too much moisture. Um, so you see conditions as a result of that versus if they had a little bit more earth, you might see more stagnancy, for example. You might see more um, obstinacy, uh, dullness happening, dullness within the mind, um, tend to be melancholy. And so that uh, really is an expression of water and earth. Sometimes there's a little bit more water in the kaphas, but to, to summarize your question as well, water exists much more predominantly in kapha than it does in pitta. Thank you. Okay, so you've got something coming up, an event going on. So tell us what is the details are around that. Yeah, so earlier on, I alluded to us having uh, a microcosm and a macrocosm. So we really have two bodies. We have our body, this what you see right here, and we have the body we live on, which is Earth. So the event that I have coming up is called the happy body. And someone that is living in a body that isn't happy, and they can, a few people can probably like, okay, yes, I've got IBS or colitis or something. They've got some condition happening. My body is not happy. If your body isn't happy, it makes it really difficult to be able to access that higher version of you. So we need to create a happy body within because the change is an inside job. And if we want to create change in the world, we have to start within the individual. Every single person, one heart at a time. And that really encompasses this idea of having a happy body. So if our bodies are happy, then the earth is going to um, thrive because of that as well. Because when our bodies are happy, we access uh, closer to our truth. We live closer to our truth. And then that in turn uh, shows up in a happier society as well. The Happy Body Summit is coming up just around the corner, May 10th to 12th. It is reconnecting with ourselves and the earth. When we start to remember who we really are, then we can reconnect with the earth, which many of us have been uh, disengaged from, disconnected from um, over, the, over the years. And 
having something like this really is just, you know, an embodiment, if you will, of a community of like-minded people that support reconnecting with yourself. So it really is highly concentrated on preventative health using the best of both worlds. So we have Eastern medicine and we have Western medicine and we have a really great representation of people that practice in both. We have Ayurvedic practitioners coming in. There's more than there was in the last summit. For example, we have yoga coming in and we have our Western practices as well. We put the two together. We have a really great integrative model in how Ayurveda works with all of the systems, with all of the modalities that currently exist and are in uh, practice in the West. This summit is a gathering of people that can provide those resources for you to reconnect to yourself and to reconnect with, with the earth. And we have Earth Day coming up, I think on Friday too. So oh, yeah. there's all this energy moving towards us being able to um, find out what our truth is, get back out to nature, go hug a tree and really, really reconnect with, with who you are because you come from nature. And if you come from nature and you were born out of the energy of love, then you're, all you're doing is you're returning to love. And that's really what the summit represents. It's a safe space for people to come to get the resources that have otherwise been censored on many platforms that are actually there to help people, not for profit. They're there to help people before anything. So um, we have people to be able to, to represent that too. And I, and I got to say too, that our practitioners that come on here that use uh, these modalities and these systems and everything, let me be very clear, this is their business. So yes, of course, there's going to be some sort of a compensation for it for them in the future, because it's what they do. So I just want to be clear on that. Um, but the idea is that everyone that comes onto the summit serves people and they serve the individual. And this really is an opportunity for them to have an experience for three days where you get to experience meditation, where there's a live plant-based cooking class, uh, where we have a panel of experts each day representing pillars of Ayurveda too and how it amalgamates with the West. Um, we have a shaman coming in and doing a formal meditation for the Wednesday lunch hour. Uh, all sorts of like exciting things. I've got music playing in the background too. Like this is a very curated event to make sure that we look at and nourish all five senses and in turn serve the whole person that experiences this particular event. Nice, nice. And so we'll have the link for that at the bottom here. So you guys, if you're interested in that, sounds like something that you want to participate in, then make sure you sign up. And check that out so you can get the info in your email box and that's the thing about going back to nature right there's so much remedy in nature observing nature being with nature honoring nature right but the oh what am i trying to say like emulating nature like yeah. there's so much remedy it's right there and it's there's a really big effort to disconnect that connection with nature so we can see that, especially in the past few years. Yeah. And that's really what it is. When you say like in, in terms of it being a, a remedy, essentially, and emulate what nature does, that's all it's asking you to do. You look at mother nature, she gets shit done. She takes her time, does what she needs to do. She still gets it all done. 
And then there's the rest of us that are freaking out that don't know what to do. And then we go to solutions that may not necessarily be helpful for us. And we try to fix it with that, with, um, you know, I won't necessarily get into that, but um, going back to nature is an expression of, of love for self and love for other beings, because you are just a, a version of nature walking around with a heartbeat. Totally. So, yeah. Totally. And, and from, from, and our children, like if we would just use that as the model for, you know, just rhythms and just lifestyle habits, what's happening in the fall, what's happening in the spring, what's happening in the winter, you know, what, what's the food available? What, you know, how are the, how do the animals deal with their stress in nature when they don't have all this busy mind going on and they physically perceive it and experience it and then let it go and their body goes through some natural biological programs to take care of that in the moment, right? Like in here, yes. we're sharing it with us and creating so much more. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Lovely. Well, anything else you want to say before we go? I think that was great. Good little, you know, that's just, a, I think the tip of Ayurveda, I think it's a really big area of practice, but when you work with somebody like you, and then you could just summarize it and use, give, bring the practical tips. Cause not everybody wants to know the science behind anything. I'm very interested in yeah. it, but yeah. when, but there's some really, but also it's really nice sometimes to get those really basic practical tips. So how about one practical, practical tip that somebody could, I don't know if that that's maybe try doshik. Is there a try doshik tip that you can give before we go? I, I can. I can give you lots of tips. We could create a whole other podcast out of Dinacharya, which is healthy daily routine. But let me give you this tip. Okay. Um, one really great way to help with your digestion is to make lunch your largest meal. Lunch needs to be your largest meal, not supper, because your digestion is strongest at high noon. All of our digestion is, is strongest at high noon. So that's something that everyone, everyone can do and will make a big difference in terms of their, their body's ability to process food and therefore get rest at night. I love it. And that's really common in more old world countries. I would say like even Europe, right? And just, you know, so that's, that's a great tip. Okay, everybody make yeah. lunch your biggest meal. Can you do that? I know it's hard and I know I like doing that, but when you're away for the day and you want to have a meal with your family at the end of the day, it's that modern life that gets in the way of, you know, how it yeah. doesn't really accommodate that sometimes. You can make those adjustments, right? If you already have tough time with elimination and digestion, you would do yourself a really good favor by making lunch your largest meal and supper your smallest meal. And you can still enjoy that time with your family. You can still enjoy supper. Supper needs to be lighter. That's all. Simple tip. Simple tip. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Kendra. I really enjoyed our time today. That was great. Thanks so much for your wisdom. I look forward to the summit coming up. May oh, me too. I can't wait to have you on. It's going to be a blast. I'm, I'm going to be on there too, guys. So tune in. I'm going to be talking about detox in, you know, different ways of detox. I know it sounds like a boring topic, but I'm going to make it interesting. I'm going to try. Oh, keep, oh my gosh. <laughs> if, if it's anything you, yeah, it's, it's a very important topic. People are interested in detox. You need to see her talk, whether you do it live or whether you do the upgrade or what have you and listen to it later. It's something that you don't want to miss because it's passion coming from, from people that really are, um, in in the field in the line of work of reconnecting with themselves in the earth. Love it. Love it.